Dear Michael, I was so pleased to hear from you once more and to receive the Jews. In 1930, a boat set sail from Southampton, carrying 29 rugby players. It would take them over a month to get to their destination, New Zealand and Australia. It was the first time since before the war that the British and Irish rugby tour had gone to New Zealand and was the first tour to be dubbed the Lions Rugby Tour. And on that tour, a connection would be made between two countries and two people that would span generations. Eighty-three years later, a man walks into Dublin Airport. Right, I'll just check the flight and see if it's arriving on time. He's here to meet a woman he's never met before. It's quite an unusual experience waiting for, uh, at the airport to meet somebody you, you don't know. I imagine that she's not travelling with very much luggage because she's just staying the one night. This is Peter Dunn. His dad, Michael Dunn, was on that Lions tour. I don't think I'll have any difficulty uh, recognising her from the photograph she sent. She has very striking dark eyes and, well, um, she looks very glamorous. Uh, her hair is dark and uh, she definitely, if, if you can identify it as a Maori look or a look of somebody who has a lot of history, um, yeah, she, her face is quite a distinguished face. That's about as much as I could say so far until we... We, we put it in, in, in actual practice when she comes in. And uh, the description I sent myself was that I was tallish, thinnish and greyish. So there aren't too many people tallish, thinnish and greyish here this morning, thankfully. The woman coming in on the plane has been looking for Peter for a long time. They're connected through rugby and romance. But the romance is not between these two people. It was between their parents. I have to ask her about... I think one of her family was responsible for the design of the silver fern that was adopted as, um, as New Zealand's emblem. Uh, lots of things I have to ask her, actually. Robin Opie is the daughter of a Maori woman who a long time ago caught the eye of an Irish rugby player. Hello, Peter. Hello, Robin. Hey, Robin. Hi. Hi, you're very welcome. Did you have a, 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 a difficult journey? No, no, easy. The hardest part was walking through Heathrow. Oh, really? Yes, forever. So welcome to Ireland. Thank you. Um, would you like a, a coffee or anything before we leave the airport, or will we just move on? Um, we'll just go on, then. Yeah. Robin is here to deliver a very special and unusual cargo. It's here. Double and triple, quadruple checked. <laughs> I keep thinking, oh my God, have I put it in the bag after all this? Yeah. Since 1976. I was thinking last night, actually, it's probably about 1973. I've had, I've been dragging this. I've been dragging the sweater around with me. And all the things that I've lost over my, over that period, never lost this. It's like. It's a jersey, a rugby jersey. An 83-year-old rugby jersey. And it's still in impeccable condition. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know how. 
Robin is from Dunedin, in the South Island of New Zealand. Dunedin, whether you know, it's the seat of rugby in New Zealand. Yes, of course. Now, Dunedin is really not that far from the Antarctica. So it gets, you know, it gets up to freezing in the winter. We get a lot of snow, a lot of rain. It's very, very Antarctic-type weather. Blue skies, though. Blue skies. So how is it that in 2013, Robin Opie from Dunedin in New Zealand is delivering an 80-year-old Lions rugby jersey to Peter Dunn and his family in Dublin? It all began in 1930. My dad was Michael J. Dunn. He was from Newtown, the ward. His parents were gone but dead by the time he was 12, so he was, the, the, the family looked after him and he was put through Castlenock College and played for Castlenock rugby team. So he had a rugby in him from then. There was no history of rugby before then, but Castlenock was a good boarding school with good rugby tradition. He then joined Lansdowne Rugby Club, where, football club, which was a club where many uh, Castlenock boys went to. And he played, played oh, I think about seven seasons for Lansdowne, of which five of them he won the Leinster Senior Cup. Rugby Football Union, Twickenham, 24th of February, 1930. Dear Sir, tour of British rugby team to New Zealand and Australia. I am pleased to be able to inform you that you have been selected... In 1930, Mick Dunn, as he was known in rugby circles, was an Irish rugby star. In the meantime, will you please fill in the enclosed form for blazer measurements and give me the size for your stockings. Yours faithfully, S.F. Cooper, Secretary. Michael was capped 16 times for Ireland and was one of only five Irish men selected to go on the British and Irish Lions rugby tour of Australia, New Zealand and Ceylon. He worked in the bank and they were not considering giving him six months leave because the tour was exactly six months. I think my father just decided I'm leaving my job, that's it, this is too much of an opportunity. So he left the bank. 9th of April, 1930, Wednesday. Left Dunleary at 8.45pm. A goodly crowd turned up to wish us bon voyage. Michael Dunn's 18-year-old grandson, also called Michael, never met his grandfather. But through the diary that he meticulously kept every day of that rugby tour, the whole family have got to know him a little bit better. 11th of April, 1930, Friday. Embarked on NZS company boat Rangitata, travelling first class. Met all the fellows, a jolly good lot. Cabins are wonderfully comfortable and well fitted up. He was single. At that stage he was 25. And um, I think he was, I wouldn't say he was a ladies man, but I think that he loved the company of women. I've lots of photographs of him at dinner dances in the Gresham, as we all have of our parents, but he certainly seemed to be a bon vivant. Clocks and watches all put back 31 minutes tonight. Unfortunately, the number of first-class passengers is only about 45, which includes our party of 20, and there are no young females among the bunch at all, which looks as if things are going to be rather slow in that direction. 
My youngest sister, Kathleen, came in from Brussels last night to meet you. This is Robin. Nice to meet you. Hello. Nice to meet you. Hi, Robin. You're more than welcome. And this is Elizabeth, my youngest sister, who lives here. Who lives here. Yes. I'm the middle one. Hello. I'm Robin. How are you? Nice to meet you. Four of McDonne's now adult children, Peter, Catherine, Annette and Elizabeth, have all gathered in Elizabeth's Dublin house to meet Robin and hear about the love story that might have been and to be given back the jersey. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. 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 Welcome. 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 Do you see the little New Zealand teddy bear there on the couch waiting for you? <laughs> it plays the hacker. <laughs> Well, we come from a family that's probably one of the original families in New Zealand, one of the original Maori families, um, under the name of Tairoas and Ellisons, which my mother was an Ellison. 14th of April, 1930, Monday. Third day out, rose at 8 o'clock. First general physical training on deck at 8.30 a.m. All the party have now got to know each other quite well and are on the best of terms. This is a photograph of This is April starting off, so that's him on the MV ring, Ringitati. Yeah. So what you, what you will see there, hopefully, through, as you turn the pages, you will see a photograph of your mother. I haven't seen these photographs for Look years. Look at these bits on the Ringitati. That's just a photograph of him wearing the jersey. This is through Panama, is it? Gosh, look at that. Becoming very hot, particularly midday. Expect to reach Azores tomorrow. Today, we saw large numbers of sharks and jellyfish. Clocks put back 26 minutes. Yeah, That's him there. Himself, yeah. Practicing scrum. On the boat here. <laughs> My goodness. Scrumming on the deck, dancing, playing poker and writing in his diary. Passed the time on the 39 days at sea. This evening I watched a Pacific sunset and thought it was very wonderful indeed. The arrival in New Zealand, I think it was an enormous shock to them all because uh, they had no concept of going that, that far and that different culture and so on. 14th of May, 1930, Tuesday. 32nd and last day out. I awoke early at about 5.30am this morning, probably owing to the excitement of landing, and got out of bed to see a most wonderful sunrise and at the same time my first view of New Zealand in the distance. A great crowd had assembled and the harbour commissioners welcomed us very heartily. Upon arrival in New Zealand, the squad was presented with their Lions jerseys, navy blue with three gold Lions. The navy would be problematic in these early days of televised matches, and in a rare historic occasion which horrified much of New Zealand, the All Blacks agreed to wear white in the first test match, which was played in Dunedin and won by the Lions. As well as being a very important Maori family, Robin's family are rugby royalty, 
with her grandfathers and great-grandfather having played in the All Blacks teams. The original All Black team was a Maori team. Rugby was our big thing. I mean, rugby is our, one of our religions, really. And so when the Lions came and they were playing the All Blacks, it was a huge event to come to our village, these fabulous Lions rugby players coming in. It was a big, big event for us. 13th of June, 1930, Friday. Train left for Dunedin, 240 miles, at 8.15 a.m. Dunedin strikes me as being a very good city indeed. On the outskirts of Dunedin lay a rural village called Otako. It was very much a sleepy village, primarily farming, not a lot of people around. We didn't have a huge transport system. It was a lot of horse riding for communications, a lot of walking. It was that kind of sleepy village. Um, our farm was a, a, a sheep farm. So everything revolved around our day-to-day chores, which was basically to keep our head above water in terms of farming and that's the kind of life that it was. It was very, very simple life. They were not exposed a lot to international people. So will we go to the day in the diary that Dad <laughs> met? The, the day. <laughs> the day. Oh, here we are. 20th of, 20th June, of June, 1930, Friday. I felt a bit tired this morning after a late night last night, so did not rise until 12 o'clock. Incidentally, I missed breakfast. <laughs> However, after lunch, Jimmy, Tommy Kay, Jay Morley, Hodgson and Selfie. We had afternoon tea there and then returned to hotel. They went to some afternoon tea in the village. In came the rugby players. All the local girls, probably my mother and her sisters, were there. Probably making pikelets and scones and cups of tea. They would have probably welcomed them in Maori. There's a bit of a ritual welcome ceremony that goes on when someone like the Lions football team or a member of parliament or somebody important comes. After dinner, we went to a Maori entertainment and I met some charming Maori girls. One, a Miss Ellison, whom I liked very much. One, a Miss Ellison, who I liked very much. (laughs) So that's where it all started. My mother's name was Raukawa Allison, um, redhead. <laughs> she had Titian long red hair. As opposed, because normally you think of Maoris having dark hair, dark eyes. She was a nurse, very quiet, serious, um, a, probably a person of very few words, very well read, quite religious. You know, she. She had a, a huge faith. So we were all brought up to understand that we had to go to church and that sort of thing. She had a sense of humour, but it was a very quiet sense of humour, but very much our mother and very strict. It's the only time in the whole diary where he makes a reference to somebody being special. He only met her very briefly. At least that's what I can tell. He doesn't make any reference further on to anything. Despite winning their first test match in Dunedin, the Lions would be overpowered by the mighty All Blacks in the following two test matches. They went on to Australia 
And out of the total of 28 matches that they played on the tour, Mickey Dunn played in 10 in his position as lock forward, scoring one try. And then they came back up through the Suez Canal. Stopped in Naples, stopped in, in um, Pompeii, and, and then back. And that took six months. 23rd of October, 1930, Thursday. Sharp to time, we arrived in port at Plymouth and once again saw the grey, dull outlook of an English winter morning. And so ended the finest holiday that I can ever hope to enjoy if I should live to be a Methuselah. Amen. After the tour, Michael started to study law. But he continued to write letters to many of the people he had met on the tour. One of them... What are these? Miss Raukawa Allison. Yes, that's her writing. We have the the four letters that she wrote to him, and she clearly was a very well educated person from a family which had a a big holding in the south of uh, New Zealand. And um, her letters are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I'm reading my mother's letter, dear Michael. Dear Michael. I have a friend who invariably begins her letters to me with an apology for not having I written it. I appreciate your letter very sincerely, or I would not have saved it up until now. You cannot know what a pleasure it was to hear from you once more. The description of your homeward journey was most You asked me in your letter what impression your team left behind here in New Zealand. Football and stay here. To me it seems such a long time ago, yet it was just one year ago yesterday. 9th of July, since I saw you last. Spring and summer have come and gone, autumn too, and here we are again in the midst of another winter. You talk of your Irish winter. It would need to be very cold to be colder than in the October weather we are having your exam, I shall wish you every success. I hope that this finds you and yours in good health, and that you are still the same cheery and happy Michael that I knew. Now that I have answered yours, I shall eagerly await a reply. Yeah, With kindest your regards, sincere friend, your sincere friend, Raul Allison. Raul Allison. <laughs> Goodness sake. <laughs> it's like she's sitting here. It's very strange. But Rao wasn't the only young woman writing to Michael Dunn after he left Dunedin, where he seems to have left quite an impression. And this is from... It's hard to say. It looks like Etta Holland... In Dunedin. Dear Mickey, I dare say you'll be thinking that I had forgotten you and your great Irish ways or your wee letter had gone astray or some such thing. No, that is not right. The cause of the delay... <laughs> that's not right. The cause of the delay is I have not had a... I see some of the girls wearing the gold lines given to them by some of the British boys. I notice that you weren't wearing yours on the night of the dance here. Have you given yours away? If you have not, Mick, and you are feeling a weenie bit Have you given yours away? July 1930. If you have not, Mick, and you're feeling a weenie bit generous, do remember Etta. Etta Stewart or Mrs Dunn, I forget which. <laughs> Despite her angling, Etta wouldn't get Michael's jersey. And it was with Robin's mother, Rao, that he continued his correspondence. 10th of July, nine days later. It goes from dear Michael to dear friend. 10th of July, 1931. Dear friend. Now for this promised script. 
You'll note by the above that I am home again. I shall make a thorough study of the history that you are going to send me, and the jersey I shall appreciate. In the meantime, I shall expect to hear from you occasionally. With kindest regards, Raoul Allison. Kindest regards, sincerely, Raoul Allison. He's obviously written a letter to say that he's going to send her his jersey. It's, it's, uh, it's strange because that's exactly how she spoke. She writes how she speaks, or spoke. That that portrays her and and how she really was. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's very quite emotional, really. Dear Michael. Do I appear too presumptuous for this addressing you? Yours of the 17th I received yesterday in the photograph. Now what can I say? I just can't find words to express my thanks. So in the good old-fashioned way, I simply say thank you. I shall send you one of myself just as soon as I... And at the risk of seeming tedious, I must state that always I will maintain my original high opinion of you. With kindest regards... Sincerely yours, Raoul Allison. Good. Mother, what were you getting up to? (laughs) Oh, dear. Dear Michael, I was so pleased to hear from you once more. Oh, there we are. Once again, and to receive the jersey... Always, I shall value it greatly. <laughs> it for itself and what it stands for, and for the kindly thought which prompted you to send it. I too hope that this friendship of ours, grown from a chance meeting, will prove as lasting as it is genuine. Friendship is not friendship which alters when finds or bends with the wind. By this time you have reached your home, where people are eager to welcome you back once more. At last I am sending you this photo, which I promised such a long time ago. However, here it is with my very best wishes. I shall eagerly look forward to hearing from you sometime in the near future. Kindest regards and sincere greetings. Very truly, Raoul Allison. Very truly, Raoul Allison. Goodness gracious, mum. So, obviously she's got the jersey by now. That was the final one, yeah. That was the final one. That was November. Looking at the letters, it, it looks so formal. I, I'm amazed that there was any thought of that. Like pen pals. That's the only thing that changes that is the fact that she got the jersey. As opposed to all the other females that didn't get the jersey. <laughs> so her, st- her rating was quite high. The thing is they only, they only got one jersey. So uh, as a keepsake, that was probably their most important keepsake. F- so for him to part with it, Miss mm. Ellison must have been quite special uh, for him to do that because he's ke- he kept everything else, including some Maori um, battens and things that they used in war and things that they used in display. I think he may have sent the jersey to Miss Ellison and maybe with a, a rider at the bottom of it to say that maybe you would bring it to Ireland. Now, her parents, and it must have been discussed, because her parents didn't approve of her going off to 
to the northern hemisphere to meet a man that she hadn't known really very well. But clearly there, were, there, there was an, there was electricity is the wrong word, but there was a um, there was clearly a, a warmth uh, of feeling between them that was different to the normal one. Put it that way, yeah. Um, so he, he, he posted the jersey to her. But it was not to be, because not long afterwards, Rao's family arranged for her to be married to a local farmer and entrepreneur, Teoni Wiwi Tairoa. I think the families wanted to put those two together. But um, actually, um, my mother, who was an Allison, their family was also very big in rugby as well. So, and and... They all played, the, both those families played in the first All Blacks team. Well, I think she got married at 25. I would say she got married, if that was 30, I would say she got married in 1932. I still am amazed that the same as Alison then decided to pack it away and think no, not, maybe not think no more about it, but do no more about it because her parents said no but she always kept the jersey and no one in the family knew about the jersey until after their father died her husband we never asked our mother questions because she didn't do that and you know his one wish was to go back to New Zealand and farm yeah Yeah, he would love to that's what he wanted to do after he came back from the tour right um he'd been in agricultural college here Mm. in in dublin and he came from farming stock and he always wanted to go back and then he met mum that was Mm. that she wasn't they met in the metropole i think at a at a rugby dinner yeah, they married in, in 1940. Elizabeth was born in 1941. They lived in, in Eli Place for quite a long time, where my father's practice was. And so, that was that. Robin and Peter both have in common that their fathers passed away aged 61. For Robin, her father's death would mean finding out a secret that had been kept for 30 years. When we were exposed to the knowledge of Michael Dunn's presence in my mother's life, it was big shock to us, a surprise. I didn't know about it until after my father passed on. She called us all into the room and told us various things to do with my father and she said, now, there's something else to tell you. And then she goes on and tells us the story and uh, then she goes away and brings out a photo and the jersey movie. God, Mum, why didn't you marry him? He's a really nice looking guy. <laughs> 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 and she said, when she said years and years ago there was a rugby tour and she went on describing the tour and um, she said and during that visit of the rugby Lions team I met one of the players and this was Michael Dunn and they became quite close that they corresponded and there was a time when she considered going out to Ireland and we were like Really? She said, but it never happened. So she said, then I was very happily married and I had a few beautiful children. Right, okay. As a mother would say, this is our mother, who's very serious, very quiet, very sensible, um, and very much our mother. If we were sort of looking at her and 
absolute surprise. It must have been there somewhere not far in the back of my mind. But the, I think the daunting thing was Ireland to New Zealand was like us now going to the moon to live. So it was just one step too far for her, I think. After my, our mother told us, we never asked any questions because we didn't do that. It was 10 years after that that Wow gave the jersey to her youngest daughter, Robin, with a very special mission. I was given the jersey in 1976 to find the, the family because we were of the understanding, or my mother was of the understanding, that it was the only relic of his career or that tour or whatever it was. And um, she felt that it belonged with the family. She said, you're travelling a lot to Europe. Please, on one of your trips, will you go to Dublin and find the Dunn family? All right. So, <laughs> hand them back the jersey. It belongs to them. The year that she gave me the jersey, she, she passed away that year. I have lost many things over the years, but some reason or other, I never lost that jersey. You know, when you're moving from place to place and country to country, you tend to shed things. For some reason or other, that little jersey stayed with me. <laughs> my mother must have been speaking to me somewhere. She probably packed my bag when I wasn't watching. <laughs> In goes the jersey. <laughs> Just shows you how strict my parents must have been. <laughs> or how obedient I always was. Robin carried Michael Dunn's rugby jersey around with her for nearly 30 years. She asked every Irish person that she met if they could help her find the Dunn family. Yes, I mean, I must have driven every Irish person crazy that I've met. The jersey's been to France as well. <laughs> oh, really? It's been to France, it's been lived in Australia for about 20-odd years. Gosh. So this jersey's been kind of all over the place. In the trunk somewhere. <laughs> and finally, in 2013... A breakthrough in the form of former Irish MEP Owen Ryan, who was attending a dinner in London. About June of this year, at a Boris Becker evening at Annabelle's, this Irish friend of a friend of mine came in and his friend that he brought with him was Owen Ryan. So we're sitting at the dinner table, of course, up with, up with the story I go again. Because he started talking about... Which part of Ireland are you from? He went, Dublin. I went, all right, okay. So then off again and, and somebody was sitting at the table and, Robin, you're not telling that story again. I went, I'm sorry, I've really got to do this. This is an Irish guy sitting here. <laughs> and he went, oh, there's no problem, I'll find him. I, I do remember getting the call and I remember being, breathless is the wrong word, but I, I couldn't get my head around it at all because at that stage I didn't know if it was a romantic story or what it was but all I knew was that 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 there was a jersey there was a person and my dad was it was my dad's jersey and this jersey was coming back to it was was in England by 7.30 the next morning he he found them found the Dunn family gave me all the history uh, it was amazing. Extraordinary event, but nothing as extraordinary as meeting them. And so, 
through the twists and turns of several lives. Robin from New Zealand is standing in a house in Dublin with a family she's never met before. All because of an 83-year-old rugby jersey. How spoiled is this? I've only opened it up once. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, in, it's in impeccable condition. Do you think he actually wore it? Oh, it's well Yes, it's the only one they got. Yes, they only got one. Oh, they only got one. They only got one. That's why she said I had to bring it back. They must not be boiled. Strong soaps, washing powder or soda must not be used. Use warm water. There's one of those. And there are three lines on it. Is that particular? That's the lines. With three. It's been sewed on. I can't get over the condition of it. Yeah. incredible thing for me is I've had this jersey for so long. I cannot believe that I've actually found... I, I think it's wonderful. We're so lucky to have found you oh, that you have persisted in. in uh, yes. In, in, I mean, you know, anybody I said, oh, we don't even know these people. I, you know, what does nobody know that I have it? Uh, Would you be sad not to part with it, are you? Um, I'm happy to be bringing this jersey home. Kind of sad that it's all over. Kind yes, of thing, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. The whole story has yes. been completed. Yes. Robin, thank you. Thank you. On behalf of uh, for mining it, it's been down to France, to the south of France. It's been oh, it's been. So a lot of New Zealanders. Now, which of us is going to have it? <laughs> well, which of us fits? No, now Sam asked uh, if they could put it up in. Uh, I would in have the, thought the that. I think, yeah, I think at this stage. Michael Dunn leaves a legacy in rugby, not just in the provincial cup that was named after him because of his passion for spreading rugby around the country but also because of how the rugby community has defined the lives of his children. Lansdowne was very much part of his life. His rugby would have finished around 1935. By that time, he, along with the many of that Lansdowne team, had won as much as you could win, virtually. Outside of that, he really didn't have that much interest. He did a little bit of uh, pheasant shooting um, and walking. And and us, the family, there were six of us in the family, because I didn't really know him very well. He died in 1967 when I was 16, and my younger brother, was, my late younger brother, Andrew, was 12, and my older brother, Morris, was 20. So a way of getting to know him was, uh, was to read the diary. My mum just couldn't live without him, and effectively... Uh, There was no medical explanation. They just said broken heart. They were devoted to each other. It it was happy for them. It was tough for us. But being going back to rugby and having the rugby fraternity meant that people got together immediately to finish out uh, those of us who were in college and those of us who were in school. I was in school and and to make sure that that our education was run right through. My two brothers, Andrew, who who was a great rugby player, he went to Castlenock and my elder brother went to Castlenock and they were both good. Two of my three sisters met their future husbands in Lansdowne at what were then called hops or dances 
and I played rugby and my two brothers played rugby and we still are members of Lansdowne, we still go down to Lansdowne and so it's very much uh, in the blood because it's such a, a social sport. Yeah, it's a nice thing to be part of. For all the things that I've done in my life, this is the one big thing. When I go home, everybody else has done things within the family. I never have because I've never been there. And then I've done this, so that's pretty cool for me. The thing that now that I, I've done it, I'm sorry that I didn't do it while she was alive. Because for me, it was just a journey to take the jersey back. Never thought, I never thought forward about anything else, just to take the jersey back. I'll find the family would be a big thing. Um, so I, uh, I think she'd be thrilled, and I'm sad that she wasn't alive when I did it. That's, that's what makes me sad. If anything, it, it firms up my wish someday to go to, to New Zealand, but it's a really long trip. And, uh, but I think it would be worth it, certainly, if I retire. I, I would certainly do that. Uh, it would almost be my fulfilling of my father's wish to go down there. So, look, um, thank you so much for coming over. Uh, it, was, it's far, it was far more fun, far more interesting and more extraordinary than I had any concept of. For me, it was such a marvellous day. Eating, drinking, yeah. talking yeah. and regaling over things. <laughs> Very serious things. <laughs> Such as rugby. I mean, it has just shown how drawing together a sport rugby is. Absolutely. And we're talking about generations. Go, you know, going back years and years and years and it, to the present. Bring 1930s to today. I'm going to say goodbye without yes. any further ado, as we say. And, and we will see each other again, obviously, and hopefully here or there or wherever. You're going to come over and see there. And you have an invitation to lunch, the pre-match in Lansdowne, from the president. So, well, listen, I'll give you, thank you a big kiss. for wonderful hospitality. Not at all. And thank you. Thank you for the effort. For minding the jersey. All those years. And <laughs> Say bye-bye to Anne. I will indeed. And to your lovely daughters. God bless. Bye. Bye-bye. Ellison.